0: Hello, beautiful listeners. It's Rob with Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. We know you love the stories we tell, and we love telling them. However, producing and hosting the podcast is not free, but there's a way you can help. Find us on Patreon. Our Patreon members get access to exclusive content, early episode releases, and all other sorts of goodies. Go to www.patreon.com trrpod for as little as a buck a month. Every cent we take in goes back to making the show bigger and better. Thank you, we love you, and as always... Hold fast and enjoy the show. So I have a question I'd like to put to the committee. If you guys had to design your own pirate flag, what would be on it? I don't know that
1: I would have the balls that that uh, that Bart did put me on it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Mine probably be like yeah. You know, that like, one is
0: that one sort of is portrait of the artist. At uh, work, yeah, right? like
1: yeah. what he, he had like four of them. They all had him on them. Yeah, um, hanging out with death. Yeah, I mean, there's got the skull is classic, but like like a full skeleton with like a like a skeleton boner would be super funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going so s- people at, people would see it like it's a. Uh-oh. Oh, it's a pirate!
0: Do, 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 it, oh, from, oh. Chris, you, <laughs> oh God! Chris, you do realize there's not actually a bone. At, did you well, think? yeah, I
1: know, but no, there's going to be a you, bone there because it's a skeleton.
0: Do you remember nothing from health class?
1: It's going to be a skeleton, and a skeleton has to have a bone wiener, otherwise it's not funny. Mine would be
2: a great big pile of cocaine and a sea penis. Uh, there you go. See, <laughs> <body knows. laughs>
1: well, talk about C doesn't have penises, Rob. Right? <laughs> yeah, we fucking
0: know. Yeah, but that was the flag that was already flying off the fantail of the Gettysburg. Well so. no,
1: no,
3: that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's uh it's twenty twenty one, so I think mine would just be Grogu. Just
1: call him just call him by his real name. Baby Yoda. It's Baby Yoda, thank you. Uh, you put you, uh, Dork. Call him you, Grogu. You, you, you also, also,
3: also just holding in Hourglass with death. Annaponer. Yeah. Annaponer. Yeah, Anna boner. Boner. yeah, give him a boner. Some little green heart on.
2: <laughs> I, mean, the, <laughs> I mean, it's
3: yep. like Kermit's
1: <laughs> fist. You know, like I never I never thought about what it would put on a pirate flag, and I feel like I should have put more thought into this. Mm.
0: Well, we can revisit the question at the end after we talk about things today. Let, let, the, let the story today inspire you. Yeah, for sure. Draw upon it. Uh, welcome to Back to Thieves, Rose and Renegades, everybody. You can hear Vinny in the background. I'm Rob North.
2: I am your co-host, Chris Miller. I am your padre, Michael Ernett. And I'm just Kyle Graper.
0: Mm. So today... Kyle, plain and tall. <laughs> Kyle, plain and of average height. <laughs> very. Yeah, very much so. So today we are exploring the story of Bart Roberts. We are getting back to our roots. Wait,
3: wait, 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 wait. wait. I read John Roberts and studied the Chief Justice. Did I do a
1: bad?
0: You, 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 you did a bad. You, much you, how when we you'll,
1: were... you'll probably be able to follow the same story. It kind goes that way. <laughs> I just did Bart Simpson but uh-huh. i just watched the Simpsons. Well, although john roberts
0: although john roberts before he got into the supreme court did take over 470 merchant vessels so we're good okay. to go i um is this is this going to be a repeat of when we did justinian and you studied justin timberlake yeah and and i believe when we did um, the plague
1: thing was the same
0: yeah <laughs> when we did uh, we had a
1: gregor mcgregor incident there was yeah. a gregor mcgregor mcgregor mishap
0: yeah there was a gregor mcgregor incident there was a uh, an, there was an, an ian fleming incident with you chris i believe because yeah. did you spend a lot of time researching cubby broccoli? Yeah,
1: that's, that's right. right. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> it, it was like I was like ninety minutes into like a three hour thing, and I'm like, like oh like the rest,
0: shit! Like the rest of it's a joke, but this is not. You were no, no, no. I was true. like
1: deep into it. I texted you guys about it. I'm like <laughs> son of a bitch. Well, I was
2: it, my my premiere episode. I was four albums into Led Zeppelin before I realized we were doing the other John Paul Jones yeah. uh,
1: it, it was on social media that John Paul Jones because yeah. the the picture was just way cooler mm. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Iron and Led Zeppelin so uh, yes we are uh, exploring Bartholomew Roberts getting back to our pirate roots if you don't know who Bartholomew Roberts is he was by far one of the most successful pirates to have ever operated but he's surprisingly left out of the conversation more than is deserved because I would say much like us outside PNC Park because of the cheap street beers he got into the game a little later than most So Nice,
1: I like that. That was a nice segue. That was pretty good.
0: So coming man. (laughs) So coming from an obscure background, he took really he took up the mantle of pirates like Edward Teach, Jack Rackham, and your boy Steve Bonnet. No. Oh shit! I didn't know we were doing. Steve, I don't have
1: the thing ready, and he really kicked things up a notch. Hang on, okay. we're gonna do it again. Okay. Talk amongst yourselves. Mm-hmm. I we're downloaded gonna... this thing on purpose, man. The Civil War was <laughs> neither
3: civil nor war. Discuss.
2: <laughs>
1: the peanut is neither a, knee, a pea or a nut. Oh wait, it is the, a nut.
2: The Holy Roman Empire was neither holy yeah. nor Roman I nor an empire. Right,
0: so we're, are we just gonna circle back, but we're not gonna edit any of it? This is gonna be a little. Oh no, this is the, there. Is, there is no editing. This it is sort of how a uh, this is how the sausage gets made, kind <laughs> of thing. Exactly, (laughs) Sausage. (laughs) Anywho. So anyway, so yes, Bart Roberts took up the mantle of pirates like Edward Teach, Jack Rackham, and your boy Steed Bonnet Thank you, Christopher, and really kicked things up a notch, becoming famous for not only having a longer and more successful career than his more famous predecessors, but also for the method of his own downfall, and becoming the creator of one of the most interesting cultural artifacts of the Golden Age of Piracy. Earning the Super K Black Bart through his deeds all over the Atlantic, his impact was so significant that his end marked the final days of that so-called Golden Age. So we also, we as always want to give honor to our primary sources. We have, of course, um, actually my main source was Black Flag of the North by uh, Victor Sutherland. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's a perfectly good historical examination that focuses in not only on the life and deeds of Roberts, but does its best to pull the point of view outwards to provide a lot of context as to contemporary uh, events and forces. This book didn't exactly knock my socks off, but it is quite informative and it held my attention, which is all I can really ask for in a source. Let's
2: just be honest, it had North in the name, so you had to buy it.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm obligated at that point. Um, it does have a bit of a focus on the role Canada played in the events of our story, but uh, it's fair enough uh, since Sutherland is a Canadian author. I think he lives in Ottawa, and it does provide an interesting counter to the focus you normally see on the Caribbean.
1: I promise to to the rest of our listeners, we will. This will be one of very few times that we are going to talk about Canada. So don't let this turn you off of anything like in the future. Like, please <laughs> bear with us. We will. Ta- we will definitely talk about things that are less heinously boring than Canada. Also,
0: in advance to our listeners in Ireland, we're sorry <laughs> on this one. It's, it's, it's not going to be kind. Um, we also have, of course, another old favorite, A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates by Captain Charles Johnson. If you don't know anything about that, go back, we use it for pretty much all of our pirate episodes. It was written in 1724 as a fairly sensationalized account of the last decade in the world of piracy. And uh, I also used a series of excerpts from other books such as A History of Pirates by Angus Constum, Under the Black Flag by David Cordingley, which is another standby, Pirates of the Atlantic by Dan Conlon, and Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea by Marcus Rediker. What the hell did my dog just bring in here?
1: Literally a basketball. I think it was a skull. That wasn't even
0: the basketball. It was like a
1: bowling ball.
0: Yeah. It's like as soon as he knew the mics were live, he decided to bring every toy he has into the kitchen. Well...
1: And he was he was sound asleep, and then we we started
0: recording, and he was like, "Time to just ruin this shit." Yep. So before we go on with the story, gentlemen, any other items for the point of the order?
2: Oh, we forgot. We're number nine in Estonia. Yes, oh, we, we are. haven't.
1: We haven't thanked any of our Estonian listeners. Hold on. Yeah, we're this the is... number nine comedy podcast in all of Estonia and uh, two twelve overall.
0: This is. So, uh, uh, I, I, I want to give a. a... A particular greeting to our Estonian listeners. I I and closed my. Uh, hold on, I'm going on Google Translate. <laughs> I, I just had it up.
2: Is so, it too early to announce when we're gonna? Hey, we're we're going to do the world tour, right?
1: Yep, first, first stop, Tallinn. Yep. <laughs> I, I said the second stop. I I just I don't know because yes, I, mean. I, I, only, I know one city. I'm sorry to all yeah. of our good Estonian friends. But uh, yes, Tandame to all of our Estonian listeners. <laughs>
3: If we get number one on comedy, I'm going to commit us right now to doing a series of Estonian anti-heroes.
0: Okay. Okay, do you have any ready to go? Nope, we'll figure it out. All right, that's what I figured. We
1: don't want to give away too much.
0: That's true. Thank you, friends. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's begin. So bar- the beginning of Bartholomew Roberts' story takes us to a place we haven't really looked at yet in the context of any of our pirate stories. Oh my God, Vinny.
1: What the fuck is that? While plenty <laughs> of- yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, it, I don't
0: think it's he might, I don't know if he
1: stole it or what. Well, plenty of the figures we've it's explored. It's like a fucking been- pool cue. <laughs> it sounds like one. Oh, oh my. This Oh, this so, yeah. mine. We're going to drop the 25
3: yeah. in Estonia, it's all fucking over. Maybe
1: Vinny's why we're
0: big in Estonia. Maybe, they,
1: maybe he's got family there, I don't know.
0: Exactly. It's, it's 23 and me. Yeah. I
3: haven't had a day off in like three weeks. So, well, just gone.
0: <laughs> so while plenty of the figures we've explored have been from the West Country, or Cornwall, or the South Coast of England, our story today begins in Southwest Wales. Particularly the little town of Kasnuit Bach at the foot of the Purcelli Hills in Pembrokeshire. John Roberts was born on the 17th of May 1682. I see you grinning, Kyle. It's a different John Roberts.
3: No, I'm just you have to flex the fact that you're from the your heritage is from the fucking cold ass islands because you're the only podcaster in the history of this country who was able to even remotely get close to proper Welsh.
0: Okay, fair enough. Don't don't challenge me to say the name of that really, really long village <laughs> train station, because I can't do it. But yes. <laughs> Chris is, Chris I, is currently sorry. showing. I'm sorry. The only what? <laughs> Chris is currently showing off the <laughs> proclamation paper that he is an official laird of about one square yard of Scotland. Yeah, what is like seven, it shakes out like seven and a half square feet, something like that. Yes, but yes. Born on the 17th of May 1682, according to parish records, a son of uh, the son of a man named George and a mother whose name has been lost to history. The it was Sophie of,
2: D. Hmm? It was Sophie D. Oh jeez. that's the only welsh woman i know
0: (laughs) the descendants of norman settlers who had moved into the area back in the 12th century the roberts family wasn't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination but they weren't completely destitute either in one of the few places in britain where very little had changed since the feudal period george roberts was part of a small minority who were neither the wealthy landowners nor poor tenant farmers and cattle herders that populated the area Local records show that he owned his home, which was of middling value, and a little patch of land around it. But that's about it, placing uh, placing him as part of what was essentially a small but growing middle class. Now we don't know what exactly he did for a living, nor do any other records exist of his life outside of the few little notations in various tax assessments and parish notes. Now, like many of his pirate compatriots, we know frustratingly little about young Robert's early life. In fact, there's really nothing that shows up about him until he's well into his 30s. We do know that he probably grew up speaking both English and Welsh, which was the standard for the time. Uh, We also can surmise that he probably received some education at the local parish school, probably to about a middle school level, so he was likely fairly literate. And then he grew up as part of a congregation of strict Calvinists, which, while they were very much in the minority overall in Wales and Britain, had carved out an enclave in this part of Wales since the days of the English Civil War, and had hung on to their faith in spite of various acts of Parliament and the Crown, trying to enforce the supremacy of the Anglican Church. Now, Roberts was also a little different from most of his uh, fellow Pirate All-Stars in that he didn't grow up on the coast. Casnewithbach is a good 12 miles from anywhere on the coast, and the closest points to the sea on the northern coast of Pembrokeshire are all rocky cliffs with no good anchorages. However, a couple days good walking south would have taken Roberts to the steadily growing port town of Milford Haven, on a tidal estuary where the Carew and Creswell Rivers meet. It's likely that Roberts took to sea from here, and though it wasn't the largest port in Wales, nor a particularly great trading center at the time, it was a place where dozens of small coastal vessels would come in and out each day, bound for Ireland, the Scottish Isles, and other ports around the south and west coast of England. From there, it's likely that Roberts managed to sail further afield. Think of how a connecting flight from a small regional airport to a larger hub opens up more destinations across a wider distance. Given his later acumen at combat at sea, it's not unreasonable to assume that when the War of Spanish Succession broke out in 1701, with England facing off against the twin superpowers of France and Spain, Roberts likely ended up in the service of the English Crown, as did a great many sailors of the time. Now, whether he was on an actual English warship or aboard a privateer, we don't know, and we also don't know whether he was volunteered or was pressed into service. What we do know is that for many of the men who took to sea in the service of the Crown at the time, this was pretty lucrative. However, when the war ended in 1714, Suddenly, an awful lot of sailors in the Queen's service found themselves paid off and cast ashore, and their desire to put some money back in their pockets led many of them to start their old habit of taking prizes, but this time they weren't so picky about whose ships they took. Now, of course, we've covered in quite a few episodes the emergence of the pirate state of Nassau and what a wild time 1717 and 1718 were in the West Indies and in the American colonies, and this is when Roberts re-emerges into the historical record. The same time that Blackbeard was meeting his fate at Ocracoke, Woods Rogers was bringing down the Pirate Republic in the Bahamas, and Steve Bonnet...
1: Son of a bitch!
0: (laughs) ...was having his game (laughs) over... We'll just get with it. But when Steve Bonnet was having his GAME OVER MAN moment, Roberts was now back in the world of merchant sailing in his mid-30s and going by the name Bartholomew. Now, why John Roberts became Bartholomew Roberts is a matter of some contention. But we do know that it's him because of the ship's roles for the traders he worked for, the Royal Africa Company... His age is correct, and he's listed as being from Little New Castle in Wales, which is the English translation for Casnewith Bach. He could have, yeah, he could have taken uh, the he could have taken the name Bartholomew because it was his favorite of the apostles, or because it was the name of someone he admired, or an ancestor, or it was simply his middle name, which weren't listed for the birth and baptisms in uh, Welsh parish records at the time.
2: There is a thought that he might have taken it because of. Uh... Uh, Bartholomew Sharp. Yeah, one of the more Who famous English yeah. buccaneers of the 1680s. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. same thing. And he considered him uh, somebody to look up to. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it is possible that he changed his name to Hyde, uh, perhaps because of a debt, or maybe because he was trying to avoid being attached to certain piratical activities that he may have turned to at some point after the War of Spanish Succession.
3: I was initially hung up on the fact that he kept his last name, but I imagine there's probably 18 bajillion Roberts from that time period. There's
0: a lot of Roberts in Wales. Roberts and Jones are the two big... Like Tom Jones. Yes, exactly. Our our favorite
1: singer-songwriter. The true Prince of Wales. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> so either way and Barth- Padre only knew Sophie D Yeah, no, There's no respect to Sir Anthony Hopkins Or Isn't Catherine Zeta-Jones Isn't Pierce Brosnan uh, What about Catherine Zeta-Jones? Northern Irish he's, yeah, Irish. He's Irish. Yeah. Was
3: it, one of them was Welsh though, wasn't
1: it? Um, yeah. Henry Morgan was Welsh Yeah, Henry Morgan it's, was it's Welsh another, another pi- Well, he wasn't a pirate, pi- yeah, he was he's a, he's a buccaneer
0: a So either way, Bartholomew Roberts was listed As the second mate aboard a 140-ton vessel Called the Princess Captain Abraham Plum, commanding making a mere four pounds a month, equivalent to in purchasing power to about $1,300 today. You may think, oh, good for Bart. He's learned some skills like carpentry and navigation. He's finding some success, could end up being the master of his own vessel soon. Except the uh, the princess wasn't just a trading vessel. It was one of the infamous blackbirds involved in the terrible trade of human beings. She was a slaver, working the triangle trade between England, the west coast of Africa, and the Caribbean and American colonies with ruthless efficiency and callous brutality. And that's how Roberts and the crew made their living going into 1719. It was in May of that year that Roberts and the Princess were anchored at Anamabu, off of what is now Ghana, with two other slavers awaiting their turn to trade at a local slaving fort when two large, well-armed brigantines, their decks packed with menacing-looking men, hove into view. Bearing a combined 58 guns, the two ships fired a broadside at the fort, which fired a few token shots back and then abandoned its own cannon, and the three slavers wisely surrendered without resistance. The two men commanding these vessels were Walter Kennedy and Howell Davis. Now both of these men are part of a future episode I'd like to do where we examine what I call the golden age of piracy junior varsity squad. Um, Men whose careers were short but sharp, who avoided the attention that more famous pirates garnered but are still worth looking into. These two had made uh, for the trading and slaving routes off of West Africa, wisely, wisely abandoning trying to hunt off of the uh, Caribbean and the southeastern American seaboard. so by now the Royal Navy was finally starting to get its act together and were guarding these areas in force. It is worth noting, however, that Howell Davis had become a pirate captain after mutinying and stealing a provisioning sloop out from under the fleet of none other than Woods Rogers, hmm. as he sailed in to put down the pirates at Nassau. Now, once the three slavers had surrendered, the two pirate crews set about doing what they did best, taking valuables off the ships as well as any useful supplies, but along with useful supplies, they would often take useful men, first offering any who wished to volunteer to join them, and then just kidnapping anyone with a skill set of use to them. And that's what happened to Bart Roberts. Once they realized they had a capable navigator on their hands, and he was taken aboard Howell Davis's ship, the Royal Rover, along with 34 others divided amongst the two vessels. Now, once aboard the Royal Rover, Roberts realized something. Hal Davis wasn't English. He was Welsh. And not just Welsh, he was from, from Pembrokeshire. And not just from Pembrokeshire, he was from Robert's old stomping grounds of Milford Haven. Now, there was also little enough difference in age between the two men that they likely had some of the same acquaintances, or maybe he had known had even known each other's friends and family once upon a time.
1: Yeah, one of the, one of the books that... Or I'm sorry, it was um, one of the podcasts I was listening to... Um, the, there was reason to suspect that their dads had some sort of... They, they, they had likely known them because of the circles that they ran in. Mm-hmm. But the fact that... I mean, the town... It only had like 1,500 people in it.
0: Like, it well, wasn't... Wilford Haven was not a big town It was not very big. So chances are they no. met each other. And Casnewith Bach was also tiny. I mean, it still only has about 100 people. And it probably is not unreasonable to assume that it wasn't much bigger in the 1680s. So Davis took an immediate liking to Roberts and began to show him favor... Not just for his abilities as a sailor, but because Roberts was the only other person on board with which Davis could communicate in Welsh, making him a ready confidant, or at least someone to bitch to about everyone else on board and still keep it private. It didn't take long before Roberts decided that the pirate life was indeed the way to go, as Charles Johnson writes, He could not plead one of employment, or incapacity of getting his bread in an honest way, to favor so vile a change, nor was he so much a coward as to pretend it, but frankly owned. It was to get rid of the disagreeable superiority of some masters he was acquainted with and the love of novelty and change maritime peregrinations had accustomed him to. In an honest service, says he, there is thin commons, low wages, and hard labor. In this, plenty and satiety, pleasure and ease, liberty and power. So, it seems like he uh, was really starting to get into the pirate thing.
3: Well, and I mean, in the merchant marine, he never would have moved to Past his station mm-hmm. they were making what four pounds
0: a month four pounds a month it's like making 1300 bucks a month today and so
2: was it didn't that quote finish with something to the effect of i shall live a merry life
0: mm-hmm. and a short one yes. life
1: to a short life but a merry one um it's funny the the parallels between the things that he had written and those those aren't just like idle quotes that somebody made up about him those are lifted from his writings because the man yeah. didn't keep a journal um they parallel almost perfectly how Milton wrote Satan in yes. Paradise Lost. Like mm-hmm. A lot of the things that he said. So I know he was a learned man. There's a decent chance he read the book and kind of modeled his whole persona after this. Yeah, the idea of I, the idea of these uh, the
0: the consummate libertine. Yeah. So with Robert swiftly becoming part of Davis's band, the flotilla set sail for the Gulf of Guinea, and soon captured a ship that not only had uh, fifteen thousand pounds of coin. Uh, worth of coin aboard which is worth about two and a half million bucks today but the incoming governor of the Dutch colony of Accra in what's now Ghana. The taking of this rich prize and its valuable hostage was cause for celebration but just after uh, Davis and Kennedy released their remaining prizes and any who wished to go free it became clear that Walter Kennedy's vessel the Royal James was in such disrepair due to worms eating away at her hull that she had to be abandoned and set afire. So with nearly 300 men now crammed aboard a vessel meant for a crew of half that number Valuable goods and hostages of which to avail themselves, and the Royal Rover herself in need of a good hull scraping to get rid of its own shipworms, they needed to make for a port.
3: Aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) All in need of a good scraping? Good good
0: hull scraping. (laughs) That port lay in some islands about 200 miles off of the African coast in what's now known as Sao Tome, a Portuguese colony since the early 1500s on the island of Principe.
2: Is that. Sao Tomé. That means that Saint Tomé is that like Saint Mel, Thomas.
0: Yeah, Melto. Oh no, that's Tome. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's it's, it's Marissa Tome. Tome. Yeah. <laughs> so, sending a message to the guard boat that she was a British warship hunting pirates in the area, and she made all the right salutes on her way in. The Royal Rover was admitted to the harbor, spending days careening and cocking the ship. The pirates did some trade with the locals, and it seemed that their ruse was holding up. But when a French merchantman put into the port, the pirates seized it claiming that the Frenchmen had been trading with and supporting pirates in the area. no, very naughty. Now, the Portuguese governor sent a message commending them for their diligence, and Davis, Kennedy, and Roberts, and the rest thought that they may have gotten away with it, but they weren't quite sure if the governor was onto them yet. To make sure they wouldn't end up dancing the hempen jig outside a Portuguese jail, Davis came up with a first strike option that would also make them some serious cash. Once the Royal Rover was back in the water, they would invite the governor to come aboard to dine, and then seize him, ransoming him back along with the Dutch governor, who was an ally of the Portuguese, all for a cool total of forty thousand pounds, which is about seven million bucks. Arranging for their departure and allowing them to get away clean.
3: Can I just say, I'm I'm really envious of a time period where the only thing you had to do to pretend to be someone else was the flying ensign. Yep, we stole this this British ensign, so now we're, yep, we're we're fine. We're your friends. Hey. And they had cases of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. Depending it, on you, what
1: port, whenever you found like either a port or a boat, you had a couple guys rifle
0: through the flag box. <laughs> it's it's the it's it's the roots mm-hmm. of the term false flag operation. Yeah. yeah. So the governor agreed, and the plan was for Davis to come ashore to collect the governor, having a glass of wine at his mansion as a goodwill gesture, and then row him out to the ship. Everything seemed to be falling into place, and on the 19th of June, Davis and a party of his men went ashore to make their obeisance at the governor's home, while Kennedy and Robert stayed aboard the rover to prepare their ambush. As the party made their way to the front gate, it suddenly became shockingly clear that the governor had been on to the deception all along, His armed men popped out of the bushes and from behind walls and opened up in a hail of musketry. Several of the pirates were cut down where they stood, and Hal Davis was shot through the stomach and arm, but he managed to turn and try to escape back to his ship. The Portuguese gave chase, cutting down more of the pirates and shooting Davis twice more, but he managed to use pistols to gun down two of his pursuers in turn. However, he was shot once more through the back, and that put him down, his pursuers running up and cutting his throat, putting an end to the man from Milford Haven. Only one pirate made it back to the rover, bringing news of what had happened. The cries for revenge were immediate, but there was one order of business that had to be taken care of first. The Royal Rover needed a new captain. I am the captain. Walter
3: Kennedy. <laughs> <Why in> the...
0: <laughs> Walter Kennedy was a natural choice, having commanded the rover's consort vessel, but he wasn't trusted by the rover's men. One man, however, was nominated and had some universal appeal to the men aboard from both crews. Though he had only been aboard for six weeks, Bartholomew Roberts had apparently made quite the impression with his seamanship and charisma. <laughs> and, uh... Seamanship. We're talking about... <laughs> <laughs> In a matter of weeks, he had gone from second officer aboard a slaver to captain of the most well-armed pirate vessel in the Atlantic. His first order of business was that of revenge. He and Walter Kennedy launched a two-pronged assault on Principe's fort, Kennedy leading a shore party while Robert sailed in under range of the fort's cannons and bombarded it to soften it up before the assault. This he did with aplomb, the the rover's broadsides driving the Portuguese defenders from the ramparts before Kennedy's men took the fort, rolling its cannons into the water and setting fire to its buildings after stealing all the powder from the magazine. This wasn't enough revenge, however, and a second assault was launched on the town itself, Roberts lightening the captured French vessel and using it to sail a raiding party right onto the shore. This
3: guy comes in like the fucking Dothraki. Yeah,
0: he does. The The rampaging pirates burned most of the town and all of the Portuguese ships in the harbor and put most of the town's male population to the sword, stealing anything of value, Well, indeed, sh- and which indeed showed the treacherous governor exactly what sort of mistake he had made. Through leading their revenge on Principe, Roberts had shown he could take charge of a pirate crew, and a large one at that. However, he had to do more to earn the, to return the trust his men had placed in him. It was decided that the dissenters against his captaincy could depart on the captured Frenchman, which was armed with cannons recovered from the taking of the fort, and the rovers sailed off southwards towards through the Gulf of Guinea. It took about two days until Roberts captured his first prize, a Dutch merchant ship. Taking it without a fight, Roberts displayed a quality that would go down as part of his legend. While some other pirate captains like Ned Lowe had been particularly brutal to captured crews, Roberts made sure that in his capture of the Dutch vessel there was an absence of brutality, even an element of courteousness in how the pirates acted. They took what they needed from the captured vessel and the valuables aboard and offered places among the crew for any who wished to join, but there was no kidnapping of unwilling sailors, and Roberts and his crew gave the Dutchman extra clothing from the rover's stocks as well as sharing out food and drink in a gesture of conviviality before letting the Dutchmen go on their way unharmed, even providing a written receipt for everything that was taken to present to the vessels and shores. And, I mean, this is the guy that was pressed into service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, is even
1: more bizarre. I, I don't get it.
3: Well, or maybe that's part of it. I mean, it worked out for him. Well, but I can mean, imagine he, he him wasn't pressed sympathy.
1: into service. Like, he did volunteer his services, but uh, I'm sure some of the people that he was still sailing with at the time were pressed from his own boat. because. Yep. For whatever reason, not a lot of the merchant marine would take up piracy, and uh, that's another one I really don't understand. Because if you were the merchant marine, you were probably pressed into that too,
0: mm-hmm. as <laughs> they did use press gangs, same as the navy. Yeah. So two days later, they happened upon an English vessel which belonged to Robert's old bosses, the Royal Africa Company. Mm-hmm. Again, she was captured without resistance, and the crew were treated well. So well, in fact, that the majority signed on with Robert's band. The remaining holdouts were brought aboard and the experiment burned after raiding its cargo, but the prisoners were well-treated and soon dropped off at the port of São Antonio, another Portuguese colony. One report even has Roberts providing the prisoners with money with which to buy their way home to England.
3: I can't help but think the experiment sounds like a very questionable
0: cruise ship. Mm, (laughs) (laughs) So now showing that he could help them grab prizes, the crew were all about their new captain. It was decided that they should take a break from hunting off of Africa for a while, and a vote was taken with two possibilities. Head for the East Indies or try their luck off Brazil. Brazil was the winning option, and they sailed west, Robert's remarkable navigation skills putting them right in the heart of the richest hunting grounds off of Portugal's largest colony. However, once they got there, there were almost no ships to be seen. For almost nine weeks, they scanned the horizon, searching for prizes to take, and nothing. Then, as they approached All Saints Bay off of what's now the city of Salvador, they came upon an impressive sight. 42 Portuguese merchant vessels at anchor, sitting low in the water, showing that their cargo holds were full. These ships were waiting on a few more arrivals between setting sail for Lisbon in the company of two escorting naval vessels, both huge 70-gun ships of the line. Most prudent captains would sit and wait for them to set sail, staying at windward of the escorts and trying to see if they could pick off a straggler or two or wait for a storm to scatter the convoy, but not Bart Roberts. He was about to show that he was made of different stuff. Sailing into the outer edges of the collection of vessels, he brought aboard a Brazilian pilot from a small boat to act as a translator, sailed up to one of the merchantmen as if he belonged there, flying a Portuguese flag. He hailed the merchant captain, inviting him aboard, and the poor man rowed over to the rover, only to find himself surrounded by men with pistols and cutlasses. Promising no quarter at the sign of any resistance, but also promising no harm if the man cooperated, Roberts then began to question the ship's master as to what the richest vessel in the convoy was. The ship that was pointed out was the Sagrada Familia, a heavily-laden galleon carrying some 40 cannon and a crew of 170. Now, Roberts reacted to this news like he'd just been told the daily lunch special, and they gave the man food and wine as he had indeed invited him aboard to dine, and Roberts was a man of his word, and releasing him with the promise of not touching the vessel should he maintain the pretense that nothing was awry, which was exactly what happened. As such, with the Portuguese convoy none the wiser, Roberts had a target, but he needed to be careful. The Sagrada Familia was well-armed and well-crewed enough to take on and possibly beat the rover in a stand-up fight, and if things went wrong and one of the massive escorts got in range, then the rover would be uh, smashed to splinters in a broadside or two. The rover's crew was apprehensive about going after such a hard target, but Roberts was nonplussed and ordered the same approach to be taken with the Sagrada Familia that he had just witnessed worked on with the last ship. The rover sailed in amongst the convoy, in the gathering darkness bold as you like with all but a few men handling sails hidden away below decks and behind rails she sailed right on up to the sagrada familia hailing her and requesting that her captain come aboard to dine the captain responded that he'd be over presently but some keen-eyed observer aboard the rover noticed that there was commotion aboard the sagrada familia and it looked like she was clearing for action their ruse had been seen through and they were in for a fight roberts used the initiative he held and turned over hard to port bringing the rover alongside in a position where he had the sagrada familia in her sights but only a few of the opposing vessel's guns had an angle on her. The rover's guns fired a broadside from only a few yards away, which the Sagrada Familia could take, but which caused casualties and confusion amongst her crew. As the rover fired, she grappled alongside, and Walter Kennedy led scores of boarders over the rails onto the Portuguese vessel. The air filled with the crack of pistol shots and the cries of wounded men as a short, violent boarding action ensued, but within a few minutes enterprising pirates had pulled down the Sagrada Familia's colors, causing the remaining Portuguese sailors to surrender. The survivors were locked below, and Robert's pirates took full control of the vessel. In all, Robert's men had lost two dead and four wounded, while dishing out almost ten times as many losses to the Portuguese. As they secured the vessel, Robert's discovered what a rich prize they had taken. The Sagrada Familia was carrying more than 40,000 gold moidores valued at 50,000 pounds, and was carrying 40,000 pounds worth of jewelry back to the royal coffers in Lisbon, as well as dozens of bars of silver and hundreds of sacks of sugar and tobacco. All told, with her uh, additional cargo, the takings from this capture would exceed fifty million dollars at modern value, making it the single richest capture by a pirate in the last thirty years since Henry Avery. Now, Roberts—he well, had,
2: had the the king of uh, the king of Portugal's uh, the cross necklace, mm-hmm. yep, uh,
1: the cross encrusted diamond and yeah, the diamond and diamond encrusted. Yep. yeah. And he
0: kept the son of a bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wore it all the time. So Roberts had a problem, though. Now that he had his prize, he was still surrounded by an awful lot of Portuguese guns. He had, however, a few things on his side. Darkness, the confusion of the situation, and his own instincts. So he ungrappled both vessels, rehoisted the Sagrada Familia's Portuguese ensign, cut her anchor cables, and sailed out right past the two heavy escorts. Both the vessels cleared for action and sailed to the aid of their flock of merchantmen, but they were slow sailors, and they didn't actually see anything beyond a few distant gun flashes, nor did any other vessel in the area. Roberts and Kennedy, commanding the captured vessel, had to sail directly out past them in order to get to clear seas, and spent several tense minutes awaiting the thunder of Portuguese cannons, passing within musket shot of the ships of the line. Sail casual. However, yes, their their ruse—it's
1: an older Portuguese yeah. code, sir—but it checks out. Mm.
0: <laughs> their <laughs> ruse. <laughs> Their ruse worked, and the darkness and confusion caused the Portuguese naval vessels to hold their fire, convinced that the vessels sailing out were friendlies, just trying to get away from the fight. By the time they realized their they were mistake, like weekended Bernies, yeah. the,
1: like the dead crew. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time you know,
2: there was one sailor that they had to, they had down in the hold that's sitting there going, "We're not going to make it, man. It's game over, man. Game, 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 over, game over, man.
4: They're coming out of the walls." <laughs>
0: So yeah, the ruse worked, the darkness and confusion caused the vessels to hold their fire, and uh, by the time they realized their mistake, the rover and its prize were well out to sea and getting away faster than they could be chased. Roberts now had the complete and total loyalty of his crew. This daring action alone would have cemented his story, locking him into history as a pretty good pirate, but he was about to take things to the next level and show that he wasn't just pretty good, he was the best. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with the rest of the story.
1: Life is too short for bad cocktails. A good party can be a great party with a signature drink and the right bartender making it. From happy hour to reunion, or an intimate dinner to a lavish wedding, The Last Word Cocktail Company can provide everything you need to make your next event an experience that your guests will never forget. The Last Word offers in-person and virtual cocktail classes for both groups and individuals to up your game and teach you the techniques to make the perfect libation. You can learn the art of the Manhattan, the elegance of the martini, and any of the classics from pre-prohibition to modern. When you throw a party, why throw a bad party? And when it comes to cocktails, don't just have a say. Have the last word. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TheLastWordPGH for more information.
0: After capturing the Sagrada Familia, Robert's Flotilla headed north to Devil's Island off of Guiana, home of the Dreyfus Affair and Papillon. Oh. The, yeah. We and a lot of very good room. rum. Yes, that Devil's Island. The men partied, the ships were repaired, and Roberts even captured a prize, a little 10-gun sloop sailing out of Rhode Island. Roberts took the sloop and 40 men and set out to capture an accompanying vessel that the Rhode Island captain had told him about, I guess because he liked the guy. Uh, For once, it didn't work out. Storm blew him off course, damaged the sloop, and they never caught their prize. Roberts and his crew limped back into Devil's Island low on supplies, only to find that Walter Kennedy had taken both the Royal Rover and the Sagrada Familia and sailed off with them. Convincing the men that Roberts had been lost at sea and that he should be in charge now.
3: Things to be fair, he was gone for like eight days, and I mm-hmm. feel like back then the likelihood that he was actually dead was probably pretty high.
0: Oh yeah, I don't think it's entirely unreasonable, but I think a lot of it was also. I mean, Robert probably fuck that guy. I'm
1: pretty sure he saw an opportunity and took, took it. it. Yeah, I'm
2: but surprised no, I mean you're, you haven't mentioned it
0: already, Chris. Yeah. I, I I
1: am an impartial
0: bystander in this. however however as things (laughs) didn't however things didn't quite work out so well for Walter Kennedy as Charles Johnson writes quote in this company there was but one that pretended to any skill in navigation for Kennedy could neither read nor write he being preferred to the command merely for his courage which he had often indeed signalized particularly in taking the Portuguese ship and he proved to be a pretender only for shaping their course to Ireland where they agreed to land they ran away to the northwest coast of Scotland and there were tossed about by hard storms of wind for several days without knowing where they were and in great danger of perishing. At length, they pushed the vessel into a little creek and went all ashore, leaving it at anchor for the next comers. So they sailed to Scotland and all fucked off. <laughs> That's exactly what they did.
1: <laughs> and it didn't go great for them when they got there. Uh, no, not really.
0: They they Somebody turned the law onto Kennedy very quickly. Kennedy happened by a wanted poster. Of himself. Of himself. <laughs> That's got to be a moment.
1: You just imagine you're walking down the street, why you're walking by a jail is beyond me. But he just stops and he's like looking at the wanted posters, and it's him looking back and he's like, Huh. Jesus. It just turns around. There's just a bunch of bobbies with Looks like, nothing fucking trunchons. like it. <laughs>
0: Well, actually, I mean, Kennedy Kennedy did actually manage to escape into anonymity in London for a while, and he set up shop as a brothel keeper. Mm -hmm. The Kennedy
3: Um, name has just always been cursed, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, it really has. (laughs) Um, But he was eventually outed to authorities and was hanged as of July of 1721. So what befell Roberts and his men in their little vessel? Now, Roberts realized that his men were loyal to him but needed an extra layer of discipline and to be reinforced with a sense of fairness that would stop treachery like Kennedy's from happening again. So, before setting out, Roberts drafted a series of articles, which were then voted on by the crew, as was tradition, and each man swore upon a Bible to uphold these articles. Article 1. Fuck the Irish. <laughs> there had been... there had been various iterations... He's of not some, wrong. Well, we're going to get to that. There been, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> there have been various iterations of some sort of pirate code throughout the Golden Age under various captains, mostly revolving around shares of prize money and remuneration for injury and the governance of ships by their captains, but Robert's articles are really the most stringent and most fully realized of the bunch, informed by his strict Calvinism and his experience in both the worlds of royal service, merchant service, and as a pirate. The articles read thus. 1. Every man shall have an equal vote in affairs of moment. He shall have equal title to fresh provisions and strong liquors at any time seized, and shall use them at pleasure unless a scarcity may make it necessary for the common good. 2. Every man shall be called fairly in turn by the list on board of prizes, because over and above their proper share they are allowed a shift of clothes. But if they defraud the company to the value of even one dollar in plate, jewels, or money, they shall be marooned. If a man rob if any man rob another, he shall have his nose and ears slit, and be put ashore while he shall be sure to encounter hardships. three. None shall gain for money either with dice or cards. four yeah, no gambling. Four. The lights and candles should be put out at 8 o'clock at night, and if any of the crew desire to drink after that hour, they must do so upon the open deck without lights. Quiet hours. Mm-hmm. Five. Every man shall keep his piece, his musket, cutlass, and pistols at all times clean and ready for action. So keep Simpsons. your piece clean, boys.
1: Uh, that's just good advice. <laughs> yes, that's, that's just good, good advice. advice for life. Six,
0: the old old barnacle scrape. (laughs) Keeps you from getting the syphilis spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Time to careen the hull. Uh. So six, no boy or woman should be allowed amongst them. If any man shall be found seducing any of the latter sex and carrying her to sea in disguise, he shall suffer death. Seven, he that shall desert the ship or his quarters in time of battle shall be punished by death. Eight, none shall strike another on board the ship, but every man's quarrel shall be ended on shore by sword or pistol in this manner. At the word of command from each, from the quartermaster, each man previously placed back to back at so many paces distance shall turn and fire immediately. If any man do not, the quartermaster shall knock the piece out of his hand. If both miss their aim, they shall take to their cutlasses and he that draws first blood shall be declared the victor. So no fighting, but dueling is okay.
1: Nine. That makes a lot of sense. Honestly, I dig the shit out of that. It makes a lot of... One, it's incredibly dangerous to be fighting in, in quarters that cramped. True. And two, like... A duel is good for morale. Well, but yeah, because also because everybody
3: gets to watch it. But it also probably prevents a lot of escalation of mm-hmm. internal conflict because if you know the outcome is going to be pistols at
1: dawn, you're going to let that shit slide a little. And we had talked about this in other episodes about dueling. Like it really wasn't that common to go through with the duel. Yeah. Cuz you have you have mm-hmm. all night to think about it. If every, and then, whenever you show up and they have a box with guns in it and you're looking at the other guy, yeah. very very seldom did people fire on each other. There, there's if, an
0: awful lot of, you have showed up on the field, therefore you have proved your honor, and our dispute has ended, sir. There's yeah, an awful lot of that.
3: If every fuck what on Facebook had to back that shit up with physical violence, so, uh, the world would be a better place.
1: And it gives you time, again, it gives you time to think about it. Uh, okay, because Joe Rogan. What the <laughs> fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down, Leonidas.
0: <laughs> Why did Kyle choose violence? Go to therapy, Kyle.
4: <laughs>
0: All right, moving on. Number nine: No man shall talk of breaking up their way of living till each has a share of one thousand pounds. Every man who shall become a cripple or lose a limb in the service shall have eight hundred dollars from the common stock, and for lesser hurts proportionally. Hmm. Number ten: Fucking disability.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they, had, had, they had health insurance. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> they had it. They have better health insurance than most of us. Do.
3: Goddamn socialist. <laughs>
2: Wait, you, what, what, what did you
3: <laughs>
1: today?
2: Christ. what's going on
1: <laughs> just bone broth and DMT
2: yeah. <laughs> it was
0: all that
1: meat you fed. It,
2: was, it was all that meat you fed him before the show uh, he, like butter, butter and coconut oil, oil in your
0: coffee <laughs> number 10 the captain and quartermaster shall each receive two shares of a prize the master bosun and gunner one share and a half and other officers one and one quarter number 11 the musician shall have rest on the sabbath day only by right on all other days by favor only and then there's the unspoken 12th rule and this is what you were hinting at and what Chris is being a neutral observer about Um, (laughs) as the most Italian I am simply going to hold my peace here (laughs) Bart Roberts did not like Irish, there was an unspoken 12th article basically, no Irish on board Um, a lot of people attribute it to Walter Kennedy who was an Irishman fucking off with the their, their two best ships um, and all the stuff and all the and stuff, all the stuff. Um, other people say it may have had something to do with him encountering like mutinous Irishmen early in his career or bad experiences he had sailing around the Irish Sea I, I don't know
2: I think he hated potatoes mm. and, and ladies and gentlemen I'm just going to inform you that
0: well that's Calvinism potatoes are <laughs> sinful <laughs>
2: that Chris is only remaining neutral and silent because he doesn't want to talk about the most famous Italian sailor.
1: <laughs> oh, fuck that guy. He was Swiss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fuck, fuck the Genoans, man.
2: The, the Genoans are still Italian, whether you like it or not.
0: So, with these articles secured, the decision was made to set sail into the Caribbean to try and restart the momentum, but this was risky. After the initial shock of the first couple years of the Golden Age of Piracy, the various navies of the European colonial powers were starting to get their act together, dispatching more warships to the region and building a lot of smaller, faster frigates that served best as pirate hunters. And were pretty uh, able to tear apart your average pirate vessel. It's funny that it
1: took this long into the Golden Age of Piracy, which, granted, wasn't that long Mm -hmm. for the British to realize that these ships of the line just aren't going to cut it.
0: Well, when it takes four months for a letter to get back to the Admiralty...
1: But it's not like they didn't have frigates it. already. No. I mean, they, they had the largest navy you know in the century. But the fact that the way it worked in the past is we have the biggest warships, mm-hmm. and we're just going to pound you into submission. But the whenever Royal the pirates ne- were like, yeah. oh, okay, cool boo it was like roadrunner yeah. style just like fucking off and well, then they're,
0: oh right frigates and, and the royal navy at this time was a very reactive force rather than proactive the navy had been seriously drawn down after the war of spanish succession so all these ships were laid up in harbor and it took time and money to get them reactivated yeah they so, had to
1: like capture well, and, this, and beat yeah. men and then like throw them onto a ship away from their families and then yeah. just sail off so, what actually created the advent of the
2: the cruiser that we know today, even mm-hmm. though, even the Ticonderoga class cruiser, is you want a sleek, fast ship with lots of ammunition yep. and lots of firepower.
0: It's kind of a multi role kind of vessel, right? It was multi mission platform. Yeah, it, I think is the modern terminology yeah, and, that we yeah, use.
2: And back in those days, it would have been as many cannons as you can fit on to a small vessel that can get in and out. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to a man of war, you know, yep.
1: as opposed to what we which, would know about battleship. Which today is great a if, you're, if, if one ship of the line is squaring off against another ship of the line. But, you know, then it's like, oh, we have to react differently to this, which, as we know today, modern militaries are really good at doing, and nothing bad
0: ever happens when you're trying to combat <laughs> guerrilla warfare. Yeah. So, in a stroke of unexpected luck, Robert's vessel was joined by another pirate sloop, the Sea King. Uh, Six guns and 60 men under a French captain named Montigny-le-Palisse. So now he had another ship to roll with, and and after renaming his first vessel the Fortune, Robert set out in February of 1720. I was going
3: to make a joke about the Sea King sounding like a Pokemon, but I'm actually pretty sure there is 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 literally a Pokemon called the Sea King.
0: Yeah, Yeah. thanks for getting us into murky copyright territory, Kyle. (laughs)
3: Bring it, Nintendo.
0: Oh, God. Don't bring it, Nintendo. Don't bring it, it Nintendo.
1: Why are you choosing violence today? (laughs) He's all hopped up on pork.
2: (laughs) This is what happens
1: when
3: we. Pumpkin spice latte from Sheets. Oh, God. This is what what happens when we
0: unchain it from the radiator. (laughs) (laughs) Nice Ugg boots, Kyle. So. (laughs) They're warm. So they sailed northwards up the Windward Islands, taking several prizes in rapid succession, replenishing arms and stores, and restoring morale. They then moved off to hunting off Barbados, where there were no Royal Navy ships present and captured another series of prizes. This, however, got the attention of the authorities, and they outfitted two private vessels totaling 30 guns and 120 men. They lay in wait for Robert's Sloops and drew them in, the pirates assuming them to be more prizes, but instead the Fortune and Sea King were greeted with heavy broadsides and forced to run for it, tossing their guns overboard to lighten their vessels so as to make their escape. They got away, but the defeat was stinging. La Palisay and the Sea King had fled. Their guns were gone, and casualties had been heavy.
2: The French fled.
1: Inbound. Hard to believe. I've never
0: heard of that. We're... I will refrain. The
1: the stalwart French.
0: (laughs) So Roberts and the fortune bounced from island to island, doing his best to replenish supplies and recruit more men, but he was forced to sail for his life as the French sent a force of armed sloops out of Martinique to put an end to him. They never caught him, and Roberts decided that he'd had quite enough of the Caribbean, thank you, and it was decided that they would, sail, they would set sail to try their luck on the more northerly parts of the American seaport as the weather warmed. Through trading what few captured goods they had left, Roberts managed to get some guns aboard the fortune, and by the beginning of May 1720, the fortune was now cruising off of Nova Scotia. She set about capturing 15 sloops and schooners of the local fishing fleet in about three days' span, replenishing stores, guns, and coin, and soon set off for Cape Breton Island in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Roberts captured several merchant vessels in these waters and then spent the rest of May and June off of Newfoundland, tearing into the local fishing and shipping fleet, and then decided that his crew needed a rest and the fortune needed careening and repairs, set off for Trepassy Bay in the south of Newfoundland. On the 21st of June 1720, to his surprise, he found 22 vessels at anchor and hoisting his brand new black flag, promising revenge on Barbados and Martinique. He hit the unsuspecting ships in a blitz attack, taking them all with only token resistance. Most of the ships themselves weren't of much use to him, only their goods and provisions, but a lot of men volunteered for his crew, and he did happen to capture a brigantine capable of carrying 18 cannons. This would be his new flagship, to be named the Royal Fortune. Because he is obviously, obviously creative mm-hmm. when it comes to naming the ships. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so and we're going to hear more about he that soon He just picks too. one
1: and goes with it. He likes <laughs> it. It works.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of how like uh, General Creighton Abrams named every single tank he had Thunderbolt and so, then got six of them shot out from him, so the last one he had at the end of the war was Thunderbolt 7.
3: Navy men, correct me if I'm making this up, but I, I seem to remember being told that renaming a boat was bad luck.
2: Um, it, it, no, not necessarily. Um, but it, well, to,
1: to, oh, you can to tell that you, to the sailfish. To, well, well, the to submarine exam- it blew up twice.
2: <laughs> to give you an example, the, the submarine that we have down in downtown Pittsburgh, the Requin, is actually the third Requin. The other two got sank in the Pacific. And she actually never sailed um, because she was uh, built after the war. So
3: not naming a boat after another boat, but changing the name of a boat.
2: I was uh, always it, told was it not... Okay.
3: Yeah, it As
1: a prize, I feel like the rules are different because okay, it, now right. it's mine. Yeah. So if I right.
3: steal a boat outside of a Steelers game, I can name it whatever the fuck I want. But right. if I buy a boat, I should keep the name it came
0: with.
2: Yeah, well, and especially you don't want to be driving around in a stolen boat named The Pretty Princess,
0: so... Mm. <laughs> this is my vessel, the SS Bad Poops. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so his new flagship, named the Royal Fortune, uh, would sail in concert with the Fortune, uh, massively increasing Robert's capabilities. He cruised off of St. John's, capturing more uh, prizes and more recruits, including a massive 20-year-old sailor with a foul-tough demeanor named John Walton, said to be 7 feet tall and massively strong, able to splinter a bulkhead with one swing of an axe, and known by his pir- pirate compatriots under the nickname Miss Nanny. God. I just wanted to include that because of the nickname. Little John. Yeah. Yeah. Don't
1: let the name fool you.
0: I'm actually quite, quite large. large. <laughs> <laughs> so as the prize this- count... Before Sorry. we go
1: on, uh we did already talk about him striking his colors. Can we can we dig into that a little more? Or is that something you have coming? Uh, how do you mean the The fact that he had like seven different standards that he flew and yes. his face was on more than half of them.
0: Well, my favorite is the one where he's standing on two skulls and one says a um A-B-H and A M H. Yes, a Barbados head and a Martinique head. Mm-hmm.
1: And he's in almost all of them. Yes, he but is. Yes. One was just his face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like wearing a big fancy hat. But
1: uh, I mean, my favorite one is the one where he's like toasting the d- the, the skeleton. So it's like him yeah. and the devil just like fucking around, I mean, palling around with each other. <laughs>
0: he's, he's on most of them. They're cool. They're he, all they're, they're all very, very cool. good. He but, gets I mean, even,
3: branding. He's super fucking petty, which I love. He's yeah, a vindictive yeah. motherfucker. Where
0: have we seen this recently? <laughs> Can't think of it.
4: Vindictive
0: Petty? <laughs> wanting to paint their own name in gold on board the on the side of Air Force One. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, I can't think of it. So, the prize count grew and Roberts and his little flotilla moved out uh, to the waters off of the French fortress of Louisbourg, staying out of range of the guns and picking off prize after prize as they sailed into and out of the area, with some sources of the time claiming that he captured ten vessels in seven days, Now, most of these he took and burned, but one of his captures was a 220-ton, fully-rigged sailing vessel capable of carrying 28 guns and a crew of 150. She was captured by ambush and fell without a fight, and Roberts transferred his flag to this new, heavier vessel and and, uh, gave her the name Royal Fortune, (laughs) Uh, giving his former 18-gun flagship the name Good Fortune.
3: Now, how long is a ship like this?
0: 220-gun sailing vessel hundred feet yeah, not okay. nearly as long as you would think yeah
3: no i'm thinking like hundreds of yards oh yeah no right.
0: no yeah no no no, 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 no. hundred feet maybe okay uh, 120 130 with the bowsprit so it's so not like, a comfortable
3: yeah.
1: 150 no no yeah. and it, they're also designed for especially like with your sleeping quarters not everybody's asleep at the same time that makes yep. sense you're operating
0: so, on watches and people are yeah. sleeping above the cannons and mm-hmm. stuff like that they're oh, hanging from hammocks fuck. Hot, the, the original hot
2: racking, yeah. which yeah. is still well up until the 1990s at least, was still a practice in the United
1: States Navy. Yeah, and uh, submarines still do it. Submarines uh, still, submarines they have still to, do it. They have to do it mm-hmm. for the same reason. There's just not enough room, so you operate on ships. Not on the newer ones. Anything that's uh, maybe I was I was gonna say yeah. maybe not on the missile yes. subs the big boomers but I know aircraft carriers for obvious reasons I mean because if you've ever seen one you have a hard time seeing
0: the other end of it down to 5,500 at sea Yeah. yeah so Roberts' depredations continued over as the summer wore on his count of prizes between French and English waters numbering over 100 by the time he'd sailed south as the weather turned colder Roberts had himself a powerful little fleet now with dozens of cannons and hundreds of men and he was determined to have his revenge against those who had almost brought about his end he was heading back to the Caribbean he began his tenure in these waters by raiding the harbor at Basseterre on what's now St. Kitts and taking every vessel in the harbor with his now standard blitz. Flags flying, horns and drums playing, and guns firing.
3: Which was unheard of for pirates at the time. They would do the opposite. They would do what he originally didn't, fly the standard of another, you know, a, a, a peaceful navy. Mm-hmm. This motherfucker comes in black flags railing, music blasting. Psychological warfare. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of people just... Gave the fuck up when he, as soon as he showed up.
2: Yeah, and that was the that was the funny part. I, I believe it was up in the the port in Nova Scotia. He uh, he they they basically struck their colors without a fight, mm-hmm. and he considered them cowards. So he brought all twenty two captains. Together. Every morning he would shoot his gun, and they would have to show the fuck up and
3: basically say fealty as he just fucking pissed on them for yeah, fucking just, fifteen yeah, minutes. Ripped on them. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: It was like the ultimate roast. And the thing was is if you didn't show up, he'd burn your he'd burn your <laughs> ship down. Yeah. We
1: did talk about another guy who liked to go in with his colors struck and guns ablaze, and it was the same guy that used to set his face on fire. Yeah. So I feel like that's what Roberts might have been doing. Like because and you're right, but one of the reasons why Bart Roberts was able to do that is because he had three very large warships. He had and like it, it was the same with Blackbeard. Like until yeah. he had the Queen Anne's Revenge, it probably would have been unwise. Whenever you have you know a twelve gun sloop versus a sixty gun monstrous galleon, but so, if you're like, freaking everybody out and they're unwilling to fight, there you go. Yeah, it's, and that's I but, still think it's a big dick energy though.
4: Oh, oh that exactly. sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, but it, he can do it. And the right. thing is, like the only way he was going to
0: lose is if those forty vessels all turned and had to go at him. That was right. the only way he was going to lose. So Roberts had apparently sent messages to the governor of St. Kitts to arrange the peaceful surrender of the vessels in the harbor and invited him aboard the royal fortune for a friendly drink and to make arrangements. But the governor had refused, which gives us one of the few pieces of writing that we know for sure came from Roberts' own hand and one of the more interesting artifacts of his career. It reads, September 27th, 1720. This comes expressly from me to let you know that had you come off as you ought to have done and drank a glass of wine with me and mine company, I should not have harmed the least vessel in your harbor. Farther, it is not your guns you fired that affrighted me or hindered our coming in shore, but the wind not proving to our expectation, our expectation that hindered it. The royal rover you had already burnt and barbarously used some of our men, but we now have a ship as good as she, and for revenge you may assure yourselves here and hereafter not to expect anything from our hands but what belongs to a pirate. As farther, gentlemen, that poor fellow you have in prison at Sandy Point is entirely ignorant, and what he hath he was gave him, and so pray make conscience for once. Let me beg you, and use that man as an honest man and not a criminal. If we hear otherwise, you may expect not to have quarters to any of your island. Your faithful servant, Bartholomew Roberts. So having raided St. Kitts, Roberts headed to the French island of Saint-Bartolome and made the same offer. The French governor, however, decided in favor of discretion, and Roberts' crews were warmly welcomed ashore and given provisions, armaments, and reveled in the attention of the island's women. Now resupplied, Robert set off again in an, on an absolute tear, taking 15 ships in three days off of St. Lucia and capturing a 32-gun Dutch vessel after a short but bloody fight, naming her the Puerto del Principe in a break from his usual tradition, and adding her to his growing fleet. He took 14 vessels off of Martinique, 10 off of Barbados, and another eight once he went back to the recently ravaged St. Kitts. So loss rates among merchant vessels were now growing higher than they had been during the early part of the golden age of piracy. Shipping insurance rates for companies like Lloyd's of London reached the highest they had been outside of wartime, and just about every colony that had hanged a pirate in the last five years did their best to brace for the coming attack, beefing up shore batteries and begging the Royal Navy to send assistance. Now there's even a story that Roberts took a 52-gun French heavy frigate, naming her the royal fortune
3: with the I governor. The in... Principe
0: was, was French for the royal fortune. No, it means port of principe. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. With the governor in tow.
0: Well, we're getting to this. Yes. And, and it had, it was transporting the new governor of Martinique aboard and he took the vessel for himself and hanged the governor from the yard arm in revenge for the earlier attempts to blow Roberts out of the water. But the only source for this is Charles Johnson and no other records support such an event, so it's likely that he made this to gin up his own material. Also, there's records of the same governor being in Martinique before this event, after this event. So, the the fake records news. actually fake yep. news.
2: No deep state conspiracy. <laughs> it's the million it
0: little dif- pieces thing, it man. It was a different. It was a different governor. It was just yep. the same name. It was ye old Oprah's book club. Yeah. Um, Roberts was actually even rejoined by montigny la Palisse and the Sea King, with profuse apologies from the Frenchmen for booking it when things looked bad. She's
2: eating surrender monkeys. Well,
0: but Roberts still welcomed him back into the fold, happy to have more experienced men in a small, fast, and well-armed sloop. So with maritime trade in the Caribbean grinding to a standstill due to Roberts' actions, he knew it was only a matter of time before uh, one of the navies of the Great Powers decided they really needed to do something about him.
3: That's really, like... The dude shut down trade in a tremendous region.
0: In an entire region of the Atlantic.
3: He was a single, like,
0: his operation
3: was a fucking plague. Well, and it's I not mean,
0: just because he was taking every ship, but it was, there were so many ships who just went, we're not sailing. What if Bart Roberts is out there? Fuck that. Yeah. It's like the guy got stuck sideways in the Suez. Yeah.
1: It is incredible
3: how much effect he had on a global scale of things so yeah. quickly.
0: So, yeah, Robert's had a powerful squadron as far as pirates go, but he'd be no match for a naval task force of sufficient size. So they decided uh, that the move was to get the hell out of Dodge. Now the fortune, Robert's faithful little sloop from which he had made his great comeback, was burned as she was worn out and falling apart at the seams, and and her guns and crew moved to the larger ships. It was decided that the flotilla's destination would be the place where Robert's days of going legit had come to an end. They were bound for the waters off West Africa. In April of 1721, they set sail, but a few nights into the voyage, Roberts and the Royal Fortune, third Royal Fortune, had uh, looked around at daybreak to find herself all alone. The captains of the other vessels decided that they weren't quite done with the Caribbean and had turned around. Now, supposedly, this is because of an incident where Roberts' cool and genteel demeanor fell away, where he shot without trial a crewman who had insulted him, and he, this guy had good friends amongst the other crews so Roberts would sail on to Africa alone. Making landfall off of Senegal in June of 1721, it didn't take long for another rampage to begin. Roberts' first captures helped reinforce his flotilla, including a 24-gun brigantine that he called the Ranger, and a fast six-gun sloop that was turned into a stores and tender vessel named Little Little Ranger. Ranger. Again, creativity. (laughs) (laughs) So Roberts' terror on the African coast continued as he alternated between taking dozens of ships over the course of a few months and coming ashore to trade with friendly or corrupt governors and bureaucrats and maintaining his little fleet. He decided to stick it once again to his old bosses, the Royal Africa Company, by attacking and taking a small fort off Bunce Island off of what is now Sierra Leone. The fort put up some resistance but was taken with minimal losses and the governor, a man named Plunkett, was placed in chains and brought before Roberts expecting harsh treatment. Charles Johnson recounts what happens next. Upon the first sight of Plunkett... Robert swore at him like any devil for his Irish impudence in daring to resist him. Plunkett wasn't Irish.
4: <laughs> Doesn't even
0: sound like an Irish name. I get no. it. I get it. <laughs> old, Pl- old Plunkett, finding he had got into bad company, fell a swearing and cursing as fast or faster than Roberts, which made him the rest, which made the rest of the pirates laugh heartily desiring Roberts to sit down and hold his peace, for he had no share in the palaver with Plunkett at all, so that by mere dint of cursing and damning, old Plunkett hath saved his life. (laughs) His Irish impudence. The dude was from Bristol. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) I get it. So for all the... (laughs)
3: So there there was a thing I read. Apparently, so for some of the ships captured for people who didn't want to be pressed in the service, yeah. they would talk in an Irish accent knowing that he would not take would on Irish
0: Word got around that Roberts would not take Irish crew aboard. So they would... <laughs> Work on oh, you do it, you it. Where are my potatoes?
1: He was talking about the kids, stealing their lucky charms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we have been taken by pirates, faith and Begora. Oh, oh we, we don't we want we this we fucking Jesus. guy out of here.
1: Make
2: it rain, <laughs> we wee, little potatoes. <laughs> They're wiping up the wounds that they got in battle,
0: <laughs> running it through their hair, trying to make their hair look red.
4: <laughs>
0: Fuck! What do we do? What do we do? Be Irish. <laughs> so for all the pleading of colonial uh, for all the pleading of colonial governors that was met with silence by the Royal Navy, what finally did the job was a request from the Royal Africa Company for significant help. Uh, didn't happen. Didn't help their uh, hurt their cause. That the First Lord of the Admiralty, the Earl of Stafford, was the largest stakeholder in so, the Royal so Africa what, Company.
2: What, what, what you're telling me is they didn't give a shit until, the the government didn't give a
0: shit until a large corporation decided to, that they needed help. I know that you never see that in times like this, but yes. I right. So two vessels, and were, it's
1: a good thing yeah. they bailed them out because the Royal Africa Company immediately launched uh, a bunch of their stakeholders into space. Is mm. <laughs> okay. no, not at all publicity. And stuff. It, it, yeah.
2: And, yeah. I mean, well, piece. and I'm sure the Royal African, uh, the Royal Africa Company, paid all those debts back.
0: Right? Well, without 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 the without the aid, the Royal Africa Company, hockey team would not have been able to continue operations.
2: Okay,
0: so that's one, that's one for our Pittsburgh folks. So two vessels were dispatched to West Africa to deal with Roberts once and for all. We'll talk about these vessels shortly. Not only was the Royal Navy now aware of Roberts in full, but so was the media of the time. Broadsheets from London to Boston to Barbados ran stories of uh, all these depredations, painting a picture of a character who was one of a kind. Now he was the great pirate Roberts, or in some circles, Black Bart, or Bartidu to the Welsh, earning his moniker not just for his tall, swarthy looks, but for his prim dress sense, an elaborate black hat and long, dark scarlet coat made of fine materials. He was a gentleman pirate, genteel in manner to those who didn't resist him, refraining from alcohol and women, preferring tea and the company of a good book. The name also reflected his deeds, his attacks on Principe, Bunce Island, Bas his list of ship captures now in the multiples of hundreds, far surpassing any pirate who had made the papers before. But he wasn't done. Now Roberts was informed of the Royal Navy sortie by a local slaver and trader and a former pirate named John Ledstone, who went by the nickname Old Crackers. But he didn't pay the news much I love heed. That nickname. He
3: was my favorite of uh, Kid Rock's uh, You're thinking of Uncle Crack. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as he now had a, uh, the most powerful vessel yet added to his fleet. Now, the Royal Com- African Company frigate Onslow had been taken at harbor, ambushed at night, and boarded, offering practically no resistance. The captain had cooperated with Roberts, and as such, a trade was arranged. The Onslow would be given to the pirates. She was able to bear 42 guns, 10 more than Robert's current flagship, and had a much deeper cargo hold. In return, the crew would be given their freedom and be able to keep their valuables and sail away on Robert's former flagship. Not surprisingly, the new flagship was given the name... Royal Fortune. (laughs) And the Royal African Company got to keep the name Onslow. At least, as a name, anyway. Um, A word on how that played out when they got back to England. (laughs) I swear this is the size boat we left in. What ship is this? It's the Onslow. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It It is now.
1: (laughs) Weird story. (laughs) See, what
0: happened was... (laughs) It was a witch!
2: No, see, we, we, we were at the tavern, and the captain switched the keys... So we just we just went with it and got home.
3: Listen, it's very cold, shrinkage happens. I'm
0: almost positive this is the same boat. <laughs> so Robert's fleet didn't let up. Throughout the late summer and autumn of 1721, they prayed around the West African coast taking ship after ship, sailing into the harbor at Wida, a popular slaving and trading port in what's now Benin, just after the New Year of 1722, causing all 11 ships present to strike their colors. All but one were eventually released, ransomed in return for eight pounds of gold dust apiece, except for one vessel, whose captain had refused Roberts' terms. Mm -hmm. Roberts had spent his time in Africa escalating his level of violence, particularly against slave vessel captains who uh, had treated with him poorly or, or who were said by their crews to be cruel masters. And Roberts made a habit of having these men flogged in chains before being turned over to angry and vengeful crews. For being someone who had spent years making his living aboard a slaver, it was beginning to look like Roberts was taking his revenge upon the trade, punishing the captain severely and making a habit of releasing those enslaved people in the holds back onto land. But in Weedah things were different. Mm-hmm. The Blackbird, whose captain had refused Roberts' terms, was set afire. Not just with the recalcitrant, recalcitrant captain aboard, but with 80 or more enslaved souls still in her hold.
1: And the ones that that were not killed in the fire? Sharks? Jumped overboards and the sharks took them. Yeah, terrible it, episode. Every single one, all of the human cargo. Yeah, uh, but the one thing that about the ships that did lay at anchor, the ones who were ransomed, it's eight pounds of gold, not pounds, the currency. Sterling. Eight pounds of gold, mm-hmm. just of, of gold dust that they carried on board per vessel. Yep,
0: and there were eleven of them. That's a lot. <laughs> So, this episode marked the beginning of the end of the story of Bart Roberts. He had made a crucial mistake, staying in one place for too long. By now, he had captured more than 450 vessels over the course of his pirating career, and enough was enough. While he was in Weta, word traveled to the Royal Navy Squadron of his location, arriving just in time to hear that Roberts had sailed for Cape Lopez, off the coast of what's, on the coast of what's now Gabon, to careen his ships and give his men a rest. This is where the Royal Navy finally made contact with Roberts. The two Navy vessels appeared over the horizon on February 5th, 1722. And what vessels they were. HMS Swallow, Commodore Challoner Ogle, commanding, and HMS Weymouth under Captain Mungo Herdman were both 50-gun ships of the line, each clocking in at 695 tons and carrying a crew of about 330 men each. You said Swallow. <laughs> I thought it was Mungo that was going to get the laugh I'm going to be honest
1: okay. yeah but that's not like a sex thing well, it's, well I mean well I don't it know it might be I'd
0: have to look it well,
2: up well we didn't even bring up that, on the, the, that the little ranger was commanded by Captain
0: Skyrim it's, it's skirm <laughs> <laughs> which just sounds like Cardi B talking about popular video games uh, so, Bart Roberts are you looking up to see if a Mungo is a sexual thing no (laughs) okay well you're looking it up i'm gonna move on
1: uh mungo was a fictional character from the animated
0: television series *Heathcliff*, but that's about as funny as it gets from here okay thank god bart roberts may have had one of the biggest baddest pirate vessels around but the royal fortune wouldn't have been a match for either of these behemoths in a straight-up fight which were meant to stand in the line of battle and slug it out with other large warships Not only did they each have more guns than Royal Fortune, their guns were bigger, with main batteries of 18 and 12-pounders compared to the 6 and 8-pounders that made up the Royal Fortune's main batteries. Plus, the Royal Navy crews were better trained at gunnery, working to a standard of firing three broadsides to every two of the enemies. What also worked in the Swallow and Weymouth's favor is that neither were painted to a single standard and were of a form that, from a distance, if their gun ports were closed, looked like large East Indiamen, big cargo vessels meant to carry heavy cargoes long distances, the sort of target that was meat on a plate for Bart Roberts. Hmm. and this would be used to their advantage. So when both vessels showed up outside Cape Lopez, with HMS Swallow far in the lead, they found the pirates mostly ashore in a party mood. When the Swallow veered to starboard to avoid a shoal, it looked from shore like she had seen the pirates and was making a run for it. Roberts and the Royal Fortune were ashore, the crew mostly drunk, but there was enough sense to send the ranger off with her crew, led by Roberts' most able lieutenant, a man named James Skirm. Old Jimmy Skyrim.
4: <laughs> Jimmy Skyrim
1: <laughs> The Ranger he was a pirate until he took an arrow in the knee. Yeah. Well I guess in this case it was a cannonball and it I took quit. his leg off. I'm <laughs> done. I'm done. That's it. Bye That's Kyle. Fine. That's the fucking line. Miss you.
0: <laughs> Give your battle cry, man. Fus <laughs> roda. So Well, that took an exceptional level of nerdiness even for us. Even for well us. Well done, lads. So the ranger took off over the horizon in pursuit of its quarry, and after a chase of nearly 30 miles, well out of your shot of Cape Lopez, Ogle sprung his first trap. As the ranger hove towards the swallow, she turned into the wind, crossing the ranger's port bow, ran out her guns, and delivered a series of crashing broadsides from 50 yards away. The pirate brigantine realizing her mistake only once it was too late to get out of the line of fire.
3: Skyrim didn't take an arrow to the knee, he took a cannonball to the leg. Well, yeah, yep. ten,
0: 10 men were killed and almost 30 wounded, including Skarmu, who had his leg shot off by a cannonball, and most of the ranger's portside guns were dismounted and her wheels shot away. Unable to fully react as HMS Swallow came around for another broadside, which probably would have slaughtered the men still standing, some of the ranger's crew decided to take their chances with the king's justice and threw their colors overboard. As Ogle's men came aboard, there was a flash and a pall of smoke covered the ship, Six of the pirates had managed, had attempted to go out in a blaze of glory, using a pistol to try and blow up the powder magazine. Now they success—they they succeeded in blowing up one small cask of powder, causing all six of them to be fatally burned, and that was it. None of the other none of the other powder kegs went up, and the ship was still intact.
1: Well, that would be an unpleasant way to go, man.
0: Yeah. Leaving the Ranger to be dealt with by HMS Weymouth, Ogle took Swallow back to Cape Lopez to see if he could repeat the trick to uh, catch the pirates unawares. Of course, Roberts had to be Roberts, and while Skirm was off getting his ship shot out from under him and his leg, he used Little Ranger to take one more final prize, a slaver called the Neptune. When HMS Swallow once again appeared over the horizon on February 10, 1722, warping slowly into the wind, a cheer initially went up from the pirates, thinking it was the ranger coming back. And again, when they thought it, and another cheer went up when they thought it to be a merchantman unlucky enough to stumble upon them. However, an officer from the pirates' recent capture recognized HMS Swallow and warned Roberts. Hastily pushing Royal Fortune back down the log rollers into the water, Roberts ordered his squadron to scatter.
2: Well, that sailor had served on the Swallow. Mm-hmm. I and mean, he was like, no, that's the fucking Swallow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because the Swallow and the Weymouth had been in the area for about eight months. Right. This, th- we didn't go didn't go into detail because it's this just family circus cartoon-style chase all over the West African coast. So the two other vessels sailed off in different directions, but Ogle had his target. He was going for the biggest vessel the one with the distinctive black battle flag flying from her top mast. Roberts knew this was a make this,
1: this was a new flag, by the way. He made yep. a new
0: one. This was number six or seven. Number yeah, seven, is, I
1: think. He was on it. It's him with the flaming sword fighting the devil. Yeah. Because
0: he's like, nobody can kill me! <laughs> oh boy. So, yeah, Roberts knew this was a make-or-break battle, but he had the weather gauge and decided that the best plan of action was to sail as quickly as possible past HMS Swallow, likely having to accept a broadside or two, but he believed that Royal Fortune could probably take it and sail on past using her superior speed to escape from the north. Don't drink and drive, kids. Now Roberts decided... Well, it's Roberts. He didn't drink. He didn't. Everyone else the did. Navigator yeah. did. <clears throat> so Roberts decided that if he was going to go out, he was going to do it look and fly, according to Charles Johnson. Quote... Roberts himself made a gallant figure at the time of the engagement, being dressed in a rich crimson damas waistcoat and breeches, a red feather in his black hat, a gold chain round his neck with a diamond cross hanging to it, a sword in his hand, and two brace of pistol slung over his shoulders. I like that he kept the cross. Yeah, looking fresh you, to death, baby. Yeah. You,
2: you know what it puts me in mind of? That scene in Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell. Oh, and yeah. Sam Rockwell. like yep. the,
1: yeah. the, the music is playing, yeah. the wind is blowing. Yeah, yeah.
0: So within a couple hours, as a heavy storm blew into the area, adding to the the cinematic nature of this whole thing, the fateful engagement took place. The Royal Fortune piled on as much sail as she safely could, hoping the wind-driven rain and the lightning would hamper the English cannon fire. As the two ships met, from musket shot distance, the guns crashed aboard both vessels. The Royal Fortune's lighter guns managed to cause little damage to the heavenly-built hull of the HMS Swallow, and while she was too low to sweep the warship's upper deck, so little was accomplished beyond the wounding of a few English sailors. However, Royal Fortune lived up to her name for the moment, as an astounding stroke of luck caused Swallow to rise sharply to port in the storm swell, causing her cannon to shoot high. Some damage was done to the rigging, but the ship's hull and her crew were virtually untouched. However, this stroke of luck was immediately balanced out by a stroke of terrible luck. Whether it was Roberts or the helmsman who panicked, or the wrong person just slipped, or... There was a sudden patch of calm, the Royal Fortune healed sharply to starboard, into the wind, and was basically brought to a standstill. HMS Swallow wasted no time in taking advantage, healing around and unleashing upon her another, uh, another full broadside, this time from no more than 20 yards away. Again, this one wasn't quite as effective as Oval had hoped, causing only a few casualties and minor damage. But as the smoke cleared and the ringing in their ears stopped, the men of the royal fortune looked to their captain to see what was to be done. However, all they saw was his tall frame slumped over a gun carriage, and there was far more that was crimson than just his coat. Bartholomew Robert's throat had been torn out by a round of grape shot.
1: There's a, a, a piece of like literary grotesque here yeah. that the swallow blew his throat out. Like, you know, this poor bastard gets his throat obliterated by, I mean, grapes, well, by, they, by a
0: ship called the Swallow. Well, they <laughs> thought that they'd gotten... Well, the Royal Fortune <laughs> thought they got away clean, and then they turn and, like, oh, the captain's dead. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. So this but is For is where, anyone
3: listening who doesn't know what Grapeshot is, It's a, think of a cannonball
2: equivalent to a shotgun shell. Yeah. I was just going to say, this is where Dick Cheney got the idea. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ.
0: I'm going to shoot you in the face. <laughs> I'd like to ask Commodore Ogle's forgiveness for being hit by the Grape (laughs) Shot. Shot in the fucking face. I'd like to apologize for any any harm or any anguish that I have caused to the Commodore. (laughs) So, yeah. So the Pirate King of the Atlantic, who for so long had terrorized shipping across multiple regions, lay dead. As the fight wore on, his body was wrapped in a heavy chain and thrust through a gun port consigned to the deep of the ocean he had terrorized for three and a half years.
3: At his request...
0: At his request, and he was buried in all his cool stuff. Yeah,
3: which was heavy enough that they never found the body.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to this day, never, never recovered. So or that, that cool cross is still out levels. there. There's some. There's some. Sh- there's some shark swimming around with a, wearing a just bitch looking and chain a fucking cross hell, just looking like Run DMC. <laughs> <Walking away. laughs>
2: you, do you know what I am saying? <laughs>
0: now, eventually, it became clear that Royal Fortune wasn't getting out of this fight. In spite of losing her main topmast to a lightning strike, HMS Swallow Jesus. continued to pour several more broadsides into Royal Fortune. Sweeping her decks with shot and splinters, and bringing down her mainmast before her colors were finally struck. Five men aboard Swallow were dead, mostly from the lightning strike, and seven wounded, but on board Royal Fortune, it was sheer carnage. Twenty five of her crew had been killed in the fight, and more than fifty wounded, more than a third of the men aboard her. Between Royal Fortune and Ranger, both of which were taken under tow and repaired en route, 285 men were in English captivity. Seventy seven of them were Africans all of whom were sold back into the slavery that most of them had been recently liberated from. Of those who remained, 19 died of their wounds before trial. Of the rest, 52 would be hanged for piracy, and 24 taking plea deals of indentured labor with the Royal Africa Company as restitution. None of them would live longer than a matter of months. 17 served sentences in Marshalsea Prison. No word on how many of them survived. Ooh. 72 were acquitted, and the remaining few branded with a P and respited, or referred to royal deci- uh, decision as to their sentences. All would be released with pardons.
2: Well, it was said that those that took servitude, uh, uh, I think I'm trying to remember exactly how it was put in the book I read. It was that uh, they chose lingering
1: death over immediate death. Yeah. yeah, it was an author by the name of Burl. Um, I don't remember what the hell his book was. But yeah, slow death, the lingering death over a quick one. Yeah, uh, and, and
3: for those acquitted, it makes sense because if you're forced in the service, you're not really liable for the actions done.
1: One of the time. there was also a, a rogue crewman, John Phillips, that tried to uh, uh, blow the magazine, and they ended up like
0: tackling him before he could get to it. So. Yeah, right. That's I mean, that's also an interesting trend too that I found. It's <laughs> go out in a blaze of glory, I guess. Well,
1: and by the same token, like what was it? There were fifty four were. Condemned to death. Yeah. You know, out, out of these guys. And, you know, it was either you were getting hanged or you were going to work for the Royal African Company until
0: you just died. Or there. sold back into slavery. Yeah. It
1: was going to say all of the emancipated slaves were sold back. Yeah. And it was what, 77?
0: 77. Yeah. yeah. So Commodore Shaloner Ogle, who had brought the reign of Bart Roberts to an end, would take his two warships and his prizes across to Port Royal, Jamaica. By by agreement with the Royal Africa Company, he had rights to the 56 pounds of gold dust found aboard the Royal Fortune, which would make him a very wealthy man indeed. The goods aboard the prizes were sold off in various Caribbean ports, the prize money divided amongst the Royal Navy crews, but before the prize ships could be sold, a hurricane blew into the area in September and destroyed most of the vessels in Port Royal Harbor. Swallow and Weymouth rode it out just fine, but Royal Fortune, Little Ranger, and Neptune, all of which had been captured within a few days after the fight that ended Robert's life, were all smashed against the rocks and wrecked. Ranger was damaged but survived, and Ogle soon found a buyer willing to pay 5,000 pounds, which is about a million bucks in today's money, for the ship. Uh, Ogle did not share any of this money with his crew, only sending off the one-eighth share to the commanding admiral in the region. With his pockets fat, he returned to England, where in spring of 1723 he was knighted for his success against the great pirate Roberts. He would go on to gain the rank of admiral of the fleet and die in 1750 as a fantastically rich man. Ogle would disappear from public memory eventually, but the man whose career he brought to a bloody end would not. Bart Roberts is, simply put, one of the greatest pirates ever. There's recorded evidence to support that he may have taken as many as 470 ships over the course of his pirating career of only a little more than three and a half years. The equivalent of taking a prize every three days. Given this level of success, far beyond that of the rest of his contemporaries and immediate predecessors in the world of piracy, it's little wonder that most consider the golden age of piracy to have ended on February 10th, 1722. Other pirates would come and go, but none would ever come close to reaching the numbers that Roberts did. His exploits and the tales of his peculiar character and the code he established would be cemented in public memory, his legacy difficult to overlook. A plaque in Tiny Casneweth celebrated his birthplace, dozens of books would be written about his career, and he would inspire characters in everything from Robert Louis Stevenson's writings to The Princess Bride. And appear in all sorts of media, from the Assassin's Creed video games to just about every pirate metal band out there, putting out a song about Black Bart. Uh, "Running Wilds" is my personal favorite because if you're going to play pirate metal, it may as well be German pirate speed metal. Bart Roberts may not be the first name people think of when you say the word pirate, but based upon what we talked about today, I really do think he should be.
1: There's a Black Bart Casabonita. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think. I can't think of a more fitting tribute than that. Um, so that's the story
2: just, of Bob Roberts. I'm 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 just still kind of reeling over the fact that there's actually a
0: subgenre of German pirate speed metal. Oh, dude, running wild. They're 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 pretty fun. I'll I'll, I'll play you the song before we leave tonight. Oh, boy, I can't wait for that. It's Actually, it's not bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> is it
1: gonna make oh, boy, me... I can't wait for German Pirate Speed Metal. It's not in German. It's... They
0: sing in English. But I was going
1: to say, is it going to make me want to take over the neighbor's yard? You might be careening your own piece after that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But, well, just imagine that scale, though. 470 ships in, in, in three and a half years. I mean, compared to everybody else. Because Blackbeard took, what, 40 vessels during his career?
1: It was just shy of 40. Yeah, so
0: you expand that and out And most of those were
1: just, like, fishermen.
0: And, like, and if his vessel... And if his career had lasted three and a half years, because it only lasted a little more than a year, that's still only about 120, 130 ships.
3: 470! It's fitting that Assassin's Creed based shit off of him, because that sounds like my fucking GTA campaign. Like, it's completely unhinged. It's insane. Those numbers are nuts.
2: Yeah. I mean, no wonder they say 40 ships. That's rookie numbers.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Got to bring that up. Rum is for closers. Mm -hmm. Rum is for closers. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, that's the story of Black Bart. The most, I mean, by far, I can't think of anybody else. He's easily the most successful Caribbean. I think it's
3: something like the the next four combined
0: hits numbers. Well, because, like, you, you. Yeah, everybody else. Nobody comes close. So yeah, so that's the story. Well, that's why they—that's one of the reasons why they—they—they they, they use
2: different metrics to talk about the best pirate. I mean, you know, Sam Bellamy was the richest pirate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, Ed Teach was the most legendary pirate, mm-hmm. and you know, Bart Roberts had the most ships. You know, I he mean, he was just yeah.
0: the best at doing what pirates do, right? But not just ships, forts, yeah. you know, settlements. I mean, he raided everything. He changed the slave trade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he largely halted the slave trade. It's well, yeah. That's 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 the interesting thing too. Is yeah, the slave there. They, you can see records in both Europe and the Americas of slave shipments slowing down between 1720 and 1723, and it's because and, of what Bart. And Roberts they did. never went back to the levels they were before. No, mm-hmm. so he changed them forever. He uh,
1: still killed 80 human beings. Yeah, I mean that... Oh, I don't think any of us are, are here singing
0: his praises. Nope, he's not a good guy. He was a good pirate. But that does, being a good pirate does not make you a good it, man.
1: And one thing I do want to, because maybe the most important legacy is the the Pirate's Code. Yes. Um, that was not universal. No, it was uh, not. Like, you, you don't get to stumble drunkenly onto deck and yell parlay, and then everybody just stops shooting you. Yeah. Like it, it, they didn't work that way. They were his. That was his code of conduct. A a lot of ships. The 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 things that he did weren't necessarily revolutionary. His were a little more strict and they were more closely enforced. But the things that were really universal as far as like a pirate's code were the shares of the treasure. Um, his the one big one that's that's his is he gave health insurance. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: (laughs) shares of treasure. Restitution didn't, for injury. It, it was it. No
1: fighting was did, a big one. Did, yeah. Didn't teach. Uh, no didn't drinking teach was do not. The same thing? That, Lights out by eight p.m. Sailors. Uh, teach did. Teach, yeah, paid teach did. So He called is, them bounties though. Yeah, right. So it was. It was on that, your body parts. And the more important the part, the more money you got. Most of right. the
0: most of the major pirates, pirate captains of this period, had some variation on this. Well, it's a right. it's
3: a game of scale. If mm-hmm. you have a ship or two. A little guidelines are helpful. When you have a fucking fleet, you have to run that like a corporation.
0: Yeah. Well, but also, part of this code, sort of an unspoken part of the code, because it's not listed specifically in the articles. This is more of a is this the, general Is this the thing. no Irish people part? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the idea was that if you were part of a fleet, you were all of the ships who were part of that fleet were part of that fleet by consent of their commander and their crew. If the commander and their crew voted to separate from your fleet, they were free to do so.
2: Well, that's, that's interesting. It's something we didn't bring up. When he considered him, when, when Bart considered himself the admiral of the Leeward Islands, yeah. there were a couple of ships that came up and their captains uh, requested to board and said, we want to be pirates. And, um, and and Robert said, well, you know, he could have said, well, join our fleet. Mm-hmm. But instead he gave him some advice and, um, you know, handed him some handed his same ammunition and some gunpowder
0: yep. and sent them on their way now he was, he was franchising yeah, piracy but he was also yeah he was also the first one to put into his code okay your ship can be part of the part of my squadron part of my flotilla once you've captured a thousand pounds worth of stuff to me you're free to do as you like mm-hmm. if you show up you take anything from me god forbid or you just sail off you could be telling somebody where I am now I'm going to chase you and take you down. But if you show up, you get us paid, you're good. So Yeah, it was, yeah. it's it's quite the cultural artifact, it really mm-hmm. is. So, yeah, I think that's uh I think that's the story of Bart Roberts. I liked getting back to our pirate roots. That was that was
1: cool. Yeah, yes. and then we we introduced uh like Howl Davis, mm-hmm. which is going to be a good one. Yeah, Howell, like Davis, a, Howell Davis, Hal Davis and uh, Walter Kennedy. Yeah, uh, but Walt uh, Howell Davis and Sam Bellamy um were notorious for how well they treated their captives, mm-hmm. which right. is, it's bizarre that, that Bart was, he wasn't cruel, but, uh, he did often use captives as a bargaining chip. Like it was, he, also, he was not yeah. afraid to mm-hmm. execute hostages. He yeah. also
3: yeah. had a cruel streak. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. We saw with the slave
2: ship where Davis and Bellamy were, they, we'll uh, find out he was, they were, they were
0: compassionate
2: to the point of kind. Oh to yeah. To their, mm-hmm. to their captives.
0: And, he, and well, and, and Roberts has examples of this, right? But he also has examples of he did of he staggering people, amounts of violence yeah, like, and cruelty.
1: He would give he would
0: dine he would dine these captains. Look what and he did on them
1: with like jewelry. Like right. hey right. hey you like this ring? See if it fits. Uh, looks great on you. All right, man. See you later. Well, look, Thanks for all your money.
0: Well, look what he did on Principe. And then, and then he kept, would just torch your slaves. Yeah. Look what he did on Principe. They killed nine pirates, including Hal Davis. So he went ashore and he killed every man on the island. Yeah. So he right. burned the city and burned everything. So yeah, I mean yeah. it. Swings and roundabouts, I guess.
3: Humans are complicated.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. A little bit. So, yeah. So that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, Chris, if people want to find us out there, where can they do it? If you want to
1: join the crew, I definitely recommend Patreon.com. Uh, but other than that, you can email us at trrpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcastTRR. Follow us on
0: Instagram at trrpod. And you can find us on Facebook if you just search Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Mm-hmm. And you did mention Patreon. You can uh, support us financially on patreon.com slash trrpod. Get early access to episodes, access to uh, exclusive content, all sorts of goodies.
2: Have your sins forgiven. Mm -hmm. And, gentlemen, I did want to make an announcement. It's a surprise to everybody. We are in our second year. We still officially have the domain name BobCraneSexCult.com. All right. That's awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. It has been been renewed, and uh, expect exciting content this year. I'm going to make it a goal for us to have <laughs> to actually have some good stuff on there this year. we got to get pictures up there.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So, next time we're going to be switching gears a little bit. We're going to go to a much more modern subject. We're talking about a lady. And yeah, talk- this,
1: one's, this one's for all the ladies in my mentions. <laughs> and I mean that in the sense that I apologize that we haven't done a lot of females, but believe me, we're going to talk about some really heinous women, including this one. Yep. We have some good stuff help. in the pipeline. Yep. yep, we're coming up next next time.
2: Is it going to be about shoes? Because chicks like shoes. Shut the fuck up, Mike. <laughs> oh, there's,
0: there's... Yeah, there's some Oh, sho- how right you are! <laughs> there's some shoes involved, because we're talking about Imelda Marcos. So, looking forward that to that. That was
3: the villain from Suspiria, right?
0: Yes. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be talking about her next time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Uh, Don't forget to remember to stick to the pirate code. Lights out by 8 p.m. No Irish. Hold fast, everybody.